Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, boys and girls, we are back with another edition of the Ben Domenech Podcast, brought to you by Fox News. You can check out all of our podcasts at foxnewspodcast.com. I hope you will rate, review, and subscribe to this one. And I hope you will share it with your friends if you find it of interest. We have a conversation today with Kristen Wagner, who is the new head of the Alliance Defending Freedom. It's a group of lawyers, attorneys across the country who are focused on defending religious freedom for Americans who increasingly find their own beliefs under pressure from the state and from obviously our media and corporate America as well. Kristen Wagner coming up next. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI. It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Kristen Wagner, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Well, thank you for having me. I want to first congratulate you on your new role, uh, but I also want to uh, kind of have you outline for our listeners, uh, some of whom may not be familiar with ADF, uh, about uh, the organization, the history of it, and maybe give us a little bit about your background of how you ended up working there in the first place. Well, um, Alliance Defending Freedom is the world's largest legal organization that is committed to protecting religious freedom, free speech, the sanctity of life parental rights, and marriage and family. And it does that predominantly through litigation in the courtrooms around the United States, also um, through legislative support in helping prepare model bills for legislators, helping get those bills passed, through public advocacy, engaging in the public square, and through training, training of lawyers, law students, um, journalists, and others as well as through grants. We provide grants to attorneys that are in private practice that want to take on cases to protect freedom to help them be able to do that. And we've been in existence for about 30 years now. The way that I came to know ADF was in private practice myself. I practiced in Seattle um, at a firm there and wanted to take on some of these cases because 
Washington State is uh, not exactly a friend to freedom. And I made the transition from private practice after 16 years there to ADF in 2013. You know, I think one of the things that people kind of see come across the chirons and the uh, the news feeds and the like are all these different cases that crop up that they may be familiar with, um, but they don't necessarily know the kind of uh, existing structure of, of legal representation that is out there. Uh, people may have heard because, you know, they've uh, listened to uh, my podcast before. You know, I've had conf- uh, conversations with the, you know, the head of fire. I've had conversations with the, the heads of various, you know, other uh, legally active kind of groups that are on the right of center. ADF is kind of unique, though, in terms of the cases that you've targeted um, and the and the prominent stories where you've had a role to play. Could you tell us about some of those? I think I would start by telling you why I came to ADF and how I see its distinctives um, moving forward in this space. Um, what I have appreciated about ADF over the years is that it has a comprehensive strategy um, to protect freedom. So it's not just working in the courtroom, but it's working outside the courtroom. And it is an alliance. We really believe no one organization can do this. It, it takes an alliance to do it. A second aspect of ADF that will lead into the cases is we do hard things. So there are a number of issues that ADF has been willing to step out on because they see the danger to freedom that those issues pose. They see the implications in what's happening and they're willing to stand alone. And thankfully, um, in time, we often, allies come alongside. I think some of those battles you'll see that have taken place in the gender identity space. Uh, we were the first to file lawsuits challenging uh, men who want to participate on women's sports teams. Um, another area is just in the right of conscience more generally, where we're seeing government officials essentially try to purge from polite society anyone who believes marriage is between a man and a woman or that men and women exist and that they're complementary and equal but but different in terms of the cases that um people are more familiar with our cases than our name we have had 14 supreme court victories since 2011 and uh, some of those include cases like masterpiece cake shop uh the litigation involving Obamacare, the Little Sisters of the Poor, Zubik cases, Hobby Lobby, Conestoga Woods cases. And most recently, uh, we were on Mississippi's legal team in the Dobbs case, which resulted in the overturning of Roe versus Wade. You know, when you got into the area of law, I'm curious whether you thought that you would end up in a position of arguing cases like this in front of the Supreme Court. I think it, it was certainly a dream. Um, I I went into the practice of law. Um, I, I wanted to go into the practice of law from a very young age, and I felt impressed to do that, um, to protect religious freedom. So that was from about the age of 12 or 13 um, throughout my life. But, you know, it took different courses. As I said, I, I practiced for 16 years in a firm. I think that those skill sets helped me to understand what is necessary, at least to the extent I can on day one of of serving as a CEO and president, but also develop some grit that I think has helped me in arguing these cases. So um, during my tenure at ADF, we've won 13 of those 14 cases, and I have been able to argue two of those victories, and I will argue a third case in this fall term. Mm -hmm. I wanna ask you about that case, but before we get to it, um, in terms of your path toward 
uh, you know, ending up in this position, you know, it, it it's easy, I would say, to be uh, an attorney for for causes that are popular. Uh, less easy to do it when you are time and again representing basically the minority opinion, uh, at least in terms of the you know American elite and certainly the legal elite uh, in the country. Uh, and you know, in many instances, the the minority opinion of someone within their own community, such as you know, with uh, the the masterpiece experience, something like that, where you have people who are basically standing up and saying that they're not going to be pushed around uh, because of of the beliefs of others in their community uh, or forced to compromise their own deeply held religious beliefs in order to serve you know what is uh, you know a dominant or uh, very you know well-backed uh, pressure campaign against them what are some of the aspects that go into having the courage to stand up in that environment and against what have to be considered to be very steep odds and potentially, you know, the loss of your business uh, or certainly community embarrassment because of being willing to step forward? Wow. Um, that's, a, that's a loaded question. And um, I appreciate that you appreciate it. Um, it, I would say the first thing is um, my faith guides the decisions that I make and where I spend my time, how I raise my family, um, the implications of what's going on in our culture right now, I think are so significant that we can't afford not to stand, even though there's a cost to that. Um, but no one likes to be booed. No one likes to be called a hater. Uh, no one likes to get threats. Um, at the same time, I go back to, again to that, to that cost that we need to stand for freedom, not just here, for, but around the world. I mean, ADF has an international division as well. And in our international division, they're literally trying to save people's lives from religious persecution. And we just had a trial in Finland that has been appealed. We won the trial, but where a member of parliament has been charged criminally for making a statement about her beliefs on marriage. Um, we are the last Western country in the world that has resisted these types of hate speech laws. So I believe we're created for this moment. I think we can meet that moment and there's too much at stake not to. And, and I'll just say this, you know, I just finished with talking with a client um, whose case is going to the Supreme Court this fall. And, you know, she's received threats of significant bodily harm. She's been doxxed with her public address, put on her home address, put online, all kinds of threats. And, and when you get to journey with someone like that, um, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to represent them and, and to protect freedom in that way. You know, the, the feeling that a lot of Americans uh, who have religious beliefs have at the moment is that they're locked into a culture war that seems to be increasingly insane, uh, meaning that we went very rapidly from a debate about, uh, you know, uh, gay marriage and the legal uh, kind of, uh, of uh, allowances of requirements uh, impelled on spouses and the like, you know, uh, being able to visit people in the hospital or, you know, the, the ways of governing potentially, you know, uh, adoptions by gay couples to a conversation that seems to have completely upended every definition of what it means to be a man, a woman, a human being. Um, in ways that, uh, you know, uh, really could, I think, uh, be fairly said to have made a lot of people's heads spin. In other words, they could understand that 
uh, you know, gay and lesbian people exist, that they've existed uh, forever and that, and that they have certain, you know, uh, demands when it comes to legal rights under the law and that kind of thing. Uh, but that we've now reached a point where everything seems to be through the looking glass in terms of the conversation about where things are going and that rather than debating the treatment of of uh, adults and citizens uh, we're debating the understanding that we have for children even children you know younger than 10 that's something that seems to have radicalized a lot of Americans, but they also don't really know where to turn when it comes to these issues playing within their communities. What I'd ask you is what you would recommend in terms of, of where people look for good advice or good counsel, uh, whether to ADF or to your allied organizations, or to perhaps model cases or situations that people can look to when they see these types of, of stories uh, and uh, and items coming into their community, representing perhaps a minority view, but also one that has enormous, you know, legal and financial backing for it being foisted upon them. We are cowering to the prospect of public shaming, and if we allow that type of bullying and censorship to occur, I believe that we will move to a government that looks a lot more totalitarian than a the democracy, you know, that we're supposed to be living in. Um, the guarantees of the Constitution are on paper, and many nations have those guarantees that look awfully similar to the First Amendment promises that we have. But in other nations, judges and activists have gutted those provisions in terms of their meeting, and the same thing is beginning to occur here. Um, I would say that the first place people should engage is at their dinner tables with their children. Um, we're facing the prospect of a generation that um, has not been afforded any real sense of, of history and tradition, hasn't um, been taught that there's a right and a wrong, that biology matters, and it's on parents to reclaim that ground. And we have the power to do that. Um, you know, ADF has a parental rights team that provides both resources to parents, but also litigation. Um, we're doing more and more cases and getting more and more laws passed that will protect the rights of parents to be able to train and educate their kids. But that also means parents need to train and educate themselves. And we have been lazy in that over the last generation. So, so that's a good place to start. ADFlegal.org has resources. We have an intake line. We get about 10,000 calls a year, actually over that, uh, where we're able to provide assistance to people, not just in legal, but again, to send them resources, point them in the right direction. Um, but I would say it starts at our dinner tables, moves to our school boards, our city councils, our local government. We have the power to change this if we, we will just stand up. You know, one of the things that is very present of mind for me at, on this um, is how many people I think, you know, are, are struggling to find a path forward to talk about this in a way that targets the right thing. Mm -hmm. Meaning that, you know, I, I was having a conversation with an, uh, an older uh, black Democrat, uh, very politically uh, aware, very astute, uh, who uh, certainly, you know, on, on matters that are fiscal and certainly matters a lot of a lot of social matters as well, you know, doesn't share my opinion. But when it comes to this kind of issue, he finds himself uh, sort of politically, perhaps not radicalized, but someone who kind of goes on tilt. He says, this is just unacceptable. 
you know, these are little boys and girls that we're talking about. We can't have this happening in our communities. And he, and he expressed it to me as, in a way where he said, you know, look, my, my, my heart goes out to these kids, my sympathy for these kids, but this can't happen. And I think that there are a lot of people who are out there who feel the same way, but they, they don't, they're resistant in terms of standing up or talking about it because they don't want to demonize the child who's caught kind of caught in the middle on this situation where there's advocacy being pushed. There's, they're being used in a way by our political media, et cetera, superstructure. Um, and you don't want to target them because it's not as if they know any better about, you know, the way that they're being used or, or the like. How do you approach this with that kind of level of sensitivity to understand that there's something bigger going on here that needs to be defended about the way that we treat our children as a society? Um, but you don't want to, you know, there are a lot of people, I think, who kind of hold back or, or don't want to come forward and talk about it because they don't want to, you know, uh, hurt some child who may be going through all manner of problems at home, you know, hormonal issues, you know, confusion about the way that they feel and the like, as lots of children do. Well, I think arming ourselves with the facts, um, you know, in many ways, the science is in on this, it continues to come in and confirm what common sense has already told us, which is that, uh, you know, a substantial majority, I think it's over 80%, close to 90% of all children that have gender confusion, if they are working with a counselor and they are helped to be able to live at peace with their biological sex, they live healthy and successful lives and certainly healthier and more successful lives than if instead they are told that they should identify as the opposite sex. The science tells us that. The science also tells us that these kinds of treatments are not only experimental, but they're harmful to children. And so again, we have the research is in on it. We're seeing in this way, Europe um, is actually doing better than us on it in terms of reversing course with regard to, to how they're treating children. And, and I would just say in how you have these conversations, I have really begun to think about it as, you know, in my faith, that sort of two central commands are to love God and to love your neighbor. And loving your neighbor does mean speaking the truth, but it's speaking the truth in love, in realizing that unjust laws, they cause real harm, real victims. And it's the children that are the victims in this. They are not at fault, but yet there is an entire system that is set on making a profit and pushing an agenda at their expense. So if we love our neighbor, we have to engage in this, but the spirit in which we do it matters a great deal. Can, can I interject here? The, you mentioned the, the word making a profit. To me, that's one of the elements of this that really bothers me, and I feel like should be more at the center of the way that we talk about this, just given the, the costs involved and the benefits that are accruing to the people who are pushing a lot of these drugs and treatment programs onto children. What are some of the facts or some of the, the, the you know, issues related to that that you would like more people to know about uh, the way that this agenda is, is proving to be quite profitable for some people? Well, when we first started this, it, it was we started seeing the movement in, in the sports arena and felt like maybe the other side was thinking that's the low hanging fruit. And so we entered into it alone. We had trouble finding experts that would be willing to put their careers on the line because that's actually what it takes. Um, we've had, you know, um, professors of child psychiatry have lose their 
lost their jobs. Um, we represent Dr. Josephson right now, who is suing um, because he was fired because he simply said that children, instead of pushing surgeries and you know permanent measures, we might want to wait and and see how a child develops and help provide counseling first. He lost his job. Um, so the professional cost of standing up has been extreme, but more and more health professionals are doing so because they see how this profit motive is playing out. That um, you know the big medical corporations, the pharmaceutical corporations, um, entire clinics or you know hundreds of clinics are popping up where this is all they do. They push mastectomies on young teenage girls, and more and more litigation is is resulting. I think you're going to see a number of medical malpractice cases that will continue to be filed. And we have experts that are now willing to speak out and say, this is not right. And of course, you know, Ben, I know you know about Abigail Schreier's book and the other research that's been done on how it's a social contagion, um, particularly for girls. Um, so again, I think that the facts are in and it's about making money. And that's the same thing when it comes to um, the abortion industry. You know, the millions and millions of dollars that are made on pushing these things and telling women that they don't have a choice, telling parents that if their child, you know, wants to play with trucks, that they must be identifying as a boy. I played with trucks a lot. Um, I think that <laughs> it was fun to play with trucks, but let me tell you, I'm not a boy. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm glad that my parents understood that. So we my, my little girl, my little girl has a red truck that she throws, <laughs> throws around all over the place. And, and, you know, here's, I mean, I, I have many, many gay friends mm -hmm. uh, and, and a number of lesbian friends as well. And and to a person, they decry this. They say, you know, I'm so thankful that I, that's, this was not around. This mindset was not around when I was a kid because, you know, I'm, I'm happy with who I am. And I can't imagine the idea that I would be, you know, put through some kind of irreversible or damaging or, you know, a, a treatment program that would have, have you know, falsely put me into some other category and you know the the way that i kind of view this and i know that you know you're approaching this obviously from from the legal lens is you know, there there's something just sort of ruinous in in what they're advocating for philosophically about personal destruction and and mm -hmm. bodily alteration mm -hmm. and you know i i don't want to get off on a tangent but to me it's it's so it's the it's so funny that the the advocacy of you know so much of the gay agenda for many years was the sort of born this way movement and now essentially that this movement is rolling all of that back it's basically saying you have to you have to have this kind of transhumanist agenda that alters the body or alters the way that you are in order to satisfy some some kind of thing that that you're being told by all these different forces that you have to be and and to me i, I don't know about you know, philosophically, your own background and grounding. But, you know, a big part of this that I am, am concerned about is that we are going to have a kind of a natural backlash to this that basically says, well, you know, America as, as an enlightenment-based nation, as a, a liberal, small L nation, you know, is one that has, has led us to this point and that that has to be rejected. We have to throw out the the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the approach that we've had uh, in an authoritarian kind of defense of of the family or tradition or the like, I hear that from some people uh, today, and uh, in, including uh, some of my friends. But I also think 
you know, very much that, that in reality, what we need is a return to that understanding of, of uh, the rights-based, enlightenment-based understanding of, of where we are and that we shouldn't sort of fall prey to this alternate, you know, authoritarian, whether it be of the left or the right approach to the way that we uh, have, you know, law and order and, and the way that we appreciate uh, our fellow citizens. In terms of understanding where we're going on the legal side of things, Kristen, do you believe that we can have a, uh, an ordered situation in America where we are based on these values that have been uh, such a great boon to us uh, for, for multiple centuries now uh, and maintain that and defend that in a way that also does not lead to the destruction of the family and of, of really, you know, our understanding of, of the individual, you know, made by cod and 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 you know invested with it within them with that spark of the divine that makes them so valuable to us all i hesitate to say that we have to return to it because it i i don't want it to to sound like i think we have to go back i think we have to go mm -hmm. forward and the way to go forward is to remind ourselves of first principles of those core values that uh, the united states was founded on but also that are just central to all people um, you know, the rights of religious freedom and of free speech, those rights are critical, one, because they they curb uh, the authoritarian power of the government, because they encourage self-government, but also because we are all image bearers of God, that, you know, it's it's interesting to me that we've been told all of these arguments are about human dignity, but yet they're rejecting human dignity in the process um, mm -hmm. in saying subjective feelings guide everything, that there is no objective truth, and that um, in rejecting that objective truth, we we have nothing left. Um, if, if literally everything is going to be guided by how I feel in the moment. Um, and, you know, these core principles of being able to pursue truth in the marketplace, in the public square, of saying things that might sound offensive to some, it's critical to us maintaining a free nation and again, to being able to explore those questions that tug at all of our hearts, which is who are we? Why are we here? What is our purpose? Um, and, and to be able to train our children consistent with the answers that we find. Kristen, do you think of yourself as uh, the attorney for Daniel in the lion's den? <laughs> um. I do. In some ways, I, do. I mean, I, you know, I, I look across what our teams are doing in other nations where literally they're helping people get out from Sharia courts, helping women who are in forced abortions, um, you know, who are going others who are going to jail for blasphemy charges. Um, and you see where this is going because it is a part of a cycle and we're in the cycle in the United States. Um, and then I, you know, think of Lori Smith and 303 Creative, who I'll represent and argue on behalf of this fall. Um, you know, from day one of our lawsuit, she's been threatened with rape, with death. Her children have been threatened, um, un unimaginable threats against her. And yet she has bravely stood and said this principle is so important for our future mm -hmm. that come what may, um, I'm going to stand for freedom, including the freedom of people who disagree with her. And that is a core American principle. But these rights are given to us by God. They're not given to us by government. And they mm -hmm. extend to everyone. Tell us a little bit, just for the people who are 
people who might be unfamiliar uh, with this case, they, they may not know about it, but, uh, but give us a little bit of guidance on what the facts are. Sure. Lori is a website and graphic designer. Um, she owns her own business in Colorado, and she came to faith later in life. Um, she was in the corporate world and the government world and opened her own business. Um, the reason I mentioned that she came to faith was because she'd always wanted to enter into the wedding industry. Um, as you probably know, wedding websites are, uh, you know, something that's, that's very popular. And she, when she came to faith, she wanted to be able to express her views on marriage, uh, which she believes are consistent with scripture and to celebrate uh, marriage between a man and a woman. But Colorado law says that if she engages in designing any kind of websites involving weddings, then she has to design and celebrate custom wedding websites uh, for same-sex ceremonies. And that would require her to speak messages to create art that violates her convictions. So the court agreed to hear her case um, based on the issues involving free speech. It decided Jack Phillips' case to masterpiece on the basis of a free exercise of religion. Because the court didn't address the free speech issues in Jack Phillips' case in masterpiece, Jack is now on his third lawsuit um, where he is facing um, years of litigation and the loss of his business potentially. So we are hopeful that the court will resolve this once and for all, that no American should be forced to express a message that violates their convictions, nor should they face government punishment for refusing to express a message mm -hmm. uh, that, that violates their beliefs. I'm not obviously an attorney. I've gone through a, a, a free speech litigation that ended up in the yeah. circuit that I failed in. I, you may be familiar with it. I am. Yes. Um, Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, it was pretty ridiculous, but it was also very eye-opening about the nature of, of this whole area of law where the First Amendment doesn't seem to really apply or the bureaucrats maintain that it doesn't apply. And it was so eye-opening to listen to the uh, the argument in front of the Third Circuit and basically have every judge who was on there basically say, wait a minute, you know, why can't we reopen this First Amendment, you know, side of mm -hmm. things and have the lawyer for the bureaucracy, the, the NLRB in this case, uh, basically say, oh, well, that's resolved. You can't touch that. <laughs> and like, I mean, I, I obviously am happy with the result. I'm happy I won. Um, but I'm also, it was such an, it was something that I think not a lot of Americans really run into in their regular experience of having this idea, this concept that there's this area of, of bureaucratic administrative law where there is a totally different set of rules, totally different expectations, and yet they still have the power to bankrupt you, put you out of business, you know, uh, and, and do so many things that seem very threatening. How much is this a threat to the, uh, this whole area of existence going forward to people who just want to design websites or uh, make cakes or do any of these other things? Uh, and, and what can be done about it to kind of restore that appreciation of of the importance of uh, our Bill of Rights and our uh, rights as Americans? I think we have to understand the Bill of Rights. We have to be willing to face the sort of public shaming that comes from the progressive left when we stand up for those rights. We have to educate our kids about those rights. I, as I said, we get over 10,500 calls a year. 
that's just from people who want help. That's not our strategic litigation. That's not the cases that we want to file. Those are the people saying, can you help me? And I would just urge us to be mindful of where we see these small incremental threats, whether it is on local governments treating churches differently when COVID was here and shutting down churches, treating casinos better than they're treating the, the local church in terms of opening. Whether it is right now we have cases involving school districts that are refusing to allow parents to see the curriculum, refusing to tell parents when their children are secretly you know, confused at school and going by a different name, they are able to lie to parents under their policies. We have to say that's enough, that this is not acceptable and insist on our rights. Um, so I, I think that there are so many ways we can stand up. But I, I remember, Ben, early on when these cases came up with Jack and Baronel, people would say to me, oh, it's just an isolated case. This is live and let live. It's their marriage. Why are you so worried about it? And me saying, it's not isolated. This is the tip of the iceberg. This is you know, where we're heading. And, and now we're here. I mean, now Jack isn't fighting about whether he has to speak a message on marriage. This third case is about whether he needs to create a custom cake celebrating an attorney's gender transition with blue on the outside and pink on the inside. Um, it affects all of us, our professional licensing. We've had all kinds of cases and, and calls from real estate agents, attorneys, uh, marketers, healthcare counselors, school teachers. So it, it, we sink or swim together on these things. One of the things that's so powerful to understand about what goes on with these approaches is how many people are silenced who don't run into this, meaning they stay quiet mm -hmm. because they are, because they are cowed into it because they're worried about experiencing the same kind of negative effects uh, as uh, people like Jack Phillips, you know, as people like Baron Hill. Um, let's go out on this, uh, Kristen, you know, you obviously are taking on this role at a critical juncture for religious freedom in America. I mean, I don't think anybody would deny that. Uh, it's something that is is not necessarily, you know, a, a task that everyone would run to. Uh, you know, um, what is the way that you're going to approach it? How are you going to keep yourself, you know, uh, aligned and focused on the goals that you want to achieve? And, you know, what do you have in mind in terms of the, the way that you're going to have that internal spiritual balance that is necessary in order to achieve great things within this space. Because I know, regardless of what our listeners' beliefs are, you will come, you will come under assault either by whether you're, you know, evaluating that by, you know, mental health and stress and the, just, you know, the nature of the job, or whether you're evaluating that spiritually, it's something that's going to happen. And I know that you know, it's going to happen. How are you preparing yourself for this role? Well, it's been a week and I can tell you my prayer life has already improved quite significantly. <laughs> um, so, you know, I do think for me um, as a Christian, spending time in the scriptures um, myself and in prayer and that grounding that comes every morning is more important than ever. That's one thing. A second thing is we're created for community and we're living in a society that seems to reject community um, and views community as only being uh, aligned with people that think exactly the way I do or how I'm feeling in that moment. And I don't think that that's God's intention for community. So whether that community is found through a church, 
uh, or through other places. I, I am having a prayer team and I am living in community um, to be able to stay faithful and to continue the mission. ADF has been very successful at keeping their eye on the ball of their mission, not straying outside of their lane and working in an alliance because again, it's one organization doesn't solve this problem. We are all called to solve the problem. And um, and I'm excited. I'm excited for the challenge because I have seen what God can do. I mean, the Dobbs case is a perfect example. Two generations of Americans fought. They, they played in their sphere, whether it's sidewalk counseling, pregnancy resource centers, legislation, public advocacy, or the lawyers. Um, we all played our role. And we saw historic change. And I believe that's still possible in other areas. Kristen Wagner, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. Thank you. Thank you for your great work and for speaking truth. More of the Ben Dominic podcast right after this. I just wanted to give you a little bit of insight into some of the dynamics that you see within the conversation about uh, abortion in America. And frankly, how the, the media is, I think, misframing the issue for a lot of Americans uh, going forward. You've heard this whole dynamic probably by now of, of people basically saying, well, you know, when uh, Republicans uh, and conservatives and pro-lifers, when they finally got that reversal of Roe versus Wade, it was like the dog catching the car. They didn't know what they were going to get. And they're, you know, ending up with a situation politically that could be very detrimental to their chances come November. First off, I just don't think that's true. I think that every pro-lifer in America would absolutely trade getting rid of Roe versus Wade for anything, uh, you know, including, of course, getting a couple of Senate seats for Mitch McConnell to do what he wills with. But I do think also that there is some truth to it in the sense that there's a number of Republicans out there who would rather they didn't have to deal with this issue. Now, the polling on this subject is absolutely clear, and it's totally in favor of the Republican perspective on the issue, meaning that if you're going out there and saying, you know, we want a, a ban that takes place during the second trimester or something like that, uh, or even earlier, uh, that prevents abortion among, uh, you know, people who are, um, you know, uh, coming uh, forward and who don't have the issue of, you know, either, you know, terrible uh, fetal abnormalities or risk to the life of the mother, uh, potentially rape or incest or the like, then everybody's on your side. I think that that's something that, you know, really Republicans need to understand. Unfortunately, there are a lot of Republican candidates out there who are so averse to talking about the abortion issue that they don't understand this. And there's a whole category of consultants who are absolutely willing to go forward with this ludicrous idea that they need to back off the issue of abortion, that they should, you know, essentially abandon the field and allow it to be defined and dominated by their Democratic opponents. Now, look, I don't particularly care whether they want to do the right thing or not in this instance, but it does seem to me very short-sighted for any pro-lifer, uh, particularly an ostensibly pro-life Republican, to abandon the field of conversation to Democrats, to say, you know, I'm just not going to play here. I'm not going to defend it. Look, there have been plenty of unpopular bills over the years that Republicans have been eager to defend. They've been happy to defend, you know, tax bills that didn't, you know, score as very popular, you know, budget bills that didn't score as very popular, you know, bills that were on all manner of topics, you know, whether it's guns or whether it's climate or whether it's, you know, any other sort of bill uh, that they were completely willing to go out there and defend. And yet when it comes to the issue of abortion, Oh my gosh, that's just too much to ask of them. It's kind of ludicrous, isn't it? 
but it tells us something about where their priorities are. Look, I think there are a lot of people out there who aren't really that pro-life, who are now being stuck in a position of having to defend a position that they were willing to check the box for all these years, uh, but weren't willing to do the actual work to understand what they were going to have to defend in the instance that Roe actually went down. I'm Ben Dominich. You're listening to another edition of the Ben Dominich Podcast. We'll be back soon with more to dive back into the fray. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.